0: This is Jake Brennan from DisgraceLand, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts,
1: Rockerola. Pantheon Podcasts presents Deeper Digs in Rock, part of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Project. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll now on with the show dearly beloved we are gathered here
2: today to get through this thing called life let's go crazy diggers all right all right settle down the teacher's arrived my name is swain christian swain and today i am teaching rock and roll archaeology so sit down and pay attention there will be a quiz at the end of this lesson just kidding Real quick, real quick, I, I want to introduce another new Pantheon show for you. The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll, hosted by Ray Kube and Marcus Goldman. This is a podcast that was created to discuss the humongous tree of music known as rock and roll. There are thousands of branches. The history is fuzzy, scattered, known and unknown. There is so much information out there already with even more to be learned. Together, everyone is going to have fun talking about uh, our mutual passion, The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll. Between Ray and Marcus, they have 50-plus years of rock and roll radio behind them and a thirst to know more that hasn't quenched at all. Go check out The Imbalanced History of Rock and Roll on PantheonPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Episode 18 of the Rock and Roll Archaeology Podcast. Yes, yes, yes. We are still working on it diligently, I might add. So it shouldn't be too long now. Uh, The first draft uh, of the podcast is complete, uh, deep in production, and uh, we are working on the next draft. And if all comes together, uh, we will be releasing it very shortly. I know, I know, I know. It takes so long, but you know, we, we just have to get it right. Uh, you know, we, we thank you all for your patience. Expect episode 18, 1969, part one, very shortly. Okay, no new Patreon patrons this week to shout out to. But if you are interested, please head over to patreon.com backslash rock and roll podcast or you can find it on our website pantheonpodcasts.com, and click on the support button at the top of the page if you don't want to become a full-on patron uh, hey consider some merch at t public i'm seeing a lot of new folks with swag on our social media it's almost gift giving time um something in there that a loved one might want uh, check it out Okay, that's it. That's the biz for this week. Let's get to our special guest. Today's guest is Liv Warfield. She's a singer-songwriter with some very serious friends. If you don't know who Liv is, well, I might suggest you go watch her performance of Why Do You Lie on Jimmy Fallon from 2015. Or go on Kimmel and watch her there, Arsenio and Letterman. Go ahead. I'll wait. Done going down the rabbit hole? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty incredible, huh? Kind of unexpected. Yeah, big rock and soul. Big, big voice. And I say unexpected because this was the title of her last album. uh, The one that was produced by Prince before he passed in 2016. Yeah, she's a Prince protege. And now she's about to break out on her own uh, with some new singles and a new album coming in 2020. Live has a very interesting origin story. She really didn't start singing in any kind of professional manner until she was in college. Born the daughter of a Pentecostal deacon in Peoria, Illinois, she was exposed to all the gospel music one would expect. But that wasn't her first gift. She was a born athlete. So much so, she was awarded a lucrative scholarship at Portland State University to run track. It was in Portland that on a dare, she got up at a local karaoke bar and sang Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You. Uh, talk about going for the gold on your first competition. Obviously, she slayed, and after a few months of killing it on the Portland karaoke circuit, she realized that music was her true passion. So she did what any well-adjusted church-going college kid would do. She up and quit Portland State. Uh, much to the chagrin of her parents. She took it 110% serious. She literally lived and breathed music, lived in her car, relied on the kindness of strangers, did whatever it took. Sure enough, she climbed the local ladder, playing live with bands, and in 2006 released her debut album. Three years later, someone posted a video of her doing the Stones' Gimme Shelter and then her life changed like Cinderella's. Uh, His Majesty, the Purple One, was shown the clip as he was looking for a new background singer for his new Power Generation band. He called her in for an audition, and, well, as you will hear, it was surreal and life-changing Cinderella indeed. In 2015, she released her second album that was partially produced by Prince, as I said, The Unexpected. Now, she's about to hit it again after taking time to process the death of her genius mentor and after a stint in a band she created with Nancy Wilson of Heart called Roadcase Royale. Uh, More on that in a bit. All of this is upcoming. So grab a beverage, sit back, and let's get to know the amazing Liv Warfield. (laughs)
0: Welcome to Deeper Digs and Rock, Lib Warfield. How are you doing today?
3: I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: On oh, of course, Related of course. Through. Of course. Now, I, I believe you are on tour and you have been just all over the world, right?
3: Yeah, I've been managing to stay quite busy
0: <laughs>
3: for the past three or four four months, um, which has been really, really great for me because I've been kind of... I've actually uh, took a long break, a much needed one, to kind of clear my head and and do some
0: other things but now it's really really a good time right now yeah good 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 all right so the first serious question
2: hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them
0: Uh, sure. Because you happen to be on track for both of these careers at one time, um, do you think it's harder becoming a, a, a rock and roll or pop star or a world class athlete?
3: Oh wow, <laughs> that's a good question.
0: <laughs> um, oh good, that means you, that means nobody's good. asked you that before.
3: No, I, um, I don't consider like myself as, like even in that realm of pop star. Like I can't even fathom that. Mm-hmm. um i don't know that's a good question um <laughs> uh, because i love sports so much um because that's really technically my first love
1: mm-hmm.
3: um mm-hmm. so that's a really good one but for me the music is i think is kind of trumped that whole thing right now um so yeah
0: this has to be the music
3: it has to be. It has to be the music. It has to be.
0: Well, good. Well, then you obviously made the right choice when you when you came to yeah, that fork it, in the road, now, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, so you 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 grew up in the Pentecostal tradition where you know music is a huge part of the the worship service. So tell us how that sure. shaped you and your musical interests.
3: Well, see, here's the thing. Like, I, I grew up Pentecostal, but I never sang in church. I never did any of that stuff. Like, my family, nobody knew I could sing until. I was probably 21. Um, I kept it hidden from everybody. I just probably didn't have that courage, but I'm sure, and I do know that um, being in church and hearing the music, I was soaking it up. Also, you know, my mom put me in violin when I was like six. That didn't quite work out well. It worked out well for me because I was just playing. I wasn't reading the notes and I should have been, so I would pick it up and play it. like I would hear it. So you played by And then they were like, yeah, I totally played by ear. And mm. then that didn't work anymore because she was like, okay, Olivia, we got <laughs> yeah, to violin. Violin, you got to read the
0: notes, right?
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she was like, you can only get by with this stuff so far in a Suzuki class. Like, So I think those elements really, really helped me out. Church really honed and helped me out in a good way and a bad way only because I, you know I couldn't really listen to a lot of secular music the only safe thing for me was to listen to like a Whitney Houston or like like a Paul Abdul like like oh, that, that, it was just safe songs that I was I was able to listen to but church really I think on a spiritual level for me when I was younger I think I was honing that already and kind of grasping that energy of it all, you know, and it definitely yeah. is something that you feel in my music. Yes, Yeah, definitely. for
0: sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so gospel music, you know, was, was given to you as a birthright, and whether you knew it or not. Um, but mm-hmm. what music did uh, you first call your own outside the church?
3: The first soundtrack I bought was Rain Man, uh-huh. and I heard it at last.
0: Oh, and James, right.
3: And that blew my mind because I was like, Man, who is this woman who did um just this sing so beautifully but her just her vocal tone it was beautiful. And then I started to really dig deep into all of all the stuff that she was doing, not just doing the all these beautiful ballads like Etta had this. All this bluesy, oh, yeah, vocal that I was like, oh, like it blew my mind. And then, um, yeah, so Etta James really did it for me. That was my very first kind of like, oh, I'm really in love with this music thing. Like, uh-huh. I got, I got a year more So editing For sure
0: Wow yeah. That's great That's great Well I, I'm yeah. not sure You could do much better Than uh, uh, <laughs> listening to Etta And, and saying Hmm that I, yeah. I might, I might I be know, able To do something like that
3: You know it, it's funny Because it's two extremes Like okay I'll tell you It was three extremes for me So what I do know Is that I would cry a lot So my parents would Put me in front of I guess Diana Ross Had this special TV special Where she would change Outfits like 20-30 times <laughs>
5: I was obsessed
3: yeah. with that. They were like, <laughs> to keep you quiet, we would put you in front of that thing, and you watch that show hours and hours. Right? Really? So, probably in my mind, yes. Mm. And I do remember a little bit of that, yeah. Uh-huh. Like I was obsessed with that. And then the Whitney Houston thing came, and then I was like, just the tone of Whitney's voice. Oh yeah. Um, I was so mesmerized by that. And then, when on my own, when I started to really research, and that's when I found Eddie James, and I was like, yeah like it doesn't always have to be so beautiful like yeah, it can be a little rough and like, yeah. rough and tumble yes. uh, right 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 yes mm. and i was like okay like That's when I started to really just for myself, me finding it myself instead of, you know, somebody introducing me to stuff like that was one of the coolest things for me to for me to find it on my own. You know,
0: right. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. So you moved to Portland, Oregon on a track scholarship. Yeah. And we'll get into that real quick. But uh, then you decide or maybe it's decided for you by the Cosmos uh, to pursue mm. music instead of athletics. So how, how did that all come about?
3: Oh, music has always been something I've wanted to do. Like, I was a writer first. My mom would always throw journals, like, you need to write. If you're angry, you're here, write it out, write uh-huh. it out. Like, uh-huh. I was always writing, okay? And then musically, it was something I've always had. Like I, like I said before, like, nobody in my family knew I could sing. And then when I went to Portland State University, I was so sheltered, honestly, um, growing up back home, one of my teammates said, "You know what? Let's take a break. They have this place that called karaoke, and I know you like to sing, list because I've heard you sing before." And I was like, "Really? It's a bar, and we could just go." And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> and so I was like, "Let's go." So I think we went at like eight o'clock, right at night. Uh-huh. Got there, was looking through the list of songs, and next thing you know it. First song I choose, of course, is like Whitney song, right? So I couldn't stand, I couldn't look in front of everybody, but I was turned on. I was like, oh my God, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is like, forget school, forget it all. My life is going to be in these karaoke bars. This is it, right,
0: this was it. And karaoke is my life.
3: I'm telling you, like <laughs> I felt like this was the place I was going to like totally get discovered. Mm-hmm. And this karaoke thing for me became, and I know it sounds funny, and no,
0: it's, it's weird. Just new, be, well, it's a it's a new way you discovered yourself.
3: it was totally <laughs> yeah. new. And I went to that place. Not kidding you. From eight o'clock till four in the morning, every single day of the week Ooh, I started making, huh? oh i was obsessive because i felt like i found my way and if i do this then i can start trying to find band members or it, it mm-hmm. led to that it led to just me following my my heart really just stepping out of course i i really didn't finish school like i wanted to finish
5: mm-hmm.
3: at portland state i took another path because my parents were like what you went to school for a scholarship and you are doing what Oh no! Oh, Wait. you. Oh, how
0: did that go when you when you had to sit down and tell them that you've been spending all your nights in a karaoke bar?
3: Um, it clearly did not go well. I, <laughs> They didn't come I can't
5: to visit. Imagine. <laughs> <I can't imagine. laughs> they were like,
3: "Okay, this is your life at this point." Yeah, yeah. But I think fast forward like a couple years later. At that point, I think the first time they came to see me sing, actually to see this whole thing. Like, okay, so she said she started this band and she's been doing this. So let's see. They were confused, happy, sad, frustrated. Like, like how come you didn't tell us
0: you do this? Like they were. How did we not know this huge talent existed under our roof? I I can see being confused because it's not like, you know, most kids, especially with a voice like yours, you know, have been honing Mm -hmm. this for 15, 20 years before they arrive. And and here, Mm -hmm. you know, you do that and it's not known to the family.
3: Yeah, it messed them up. But now, (laughs) I mean, now, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I'm telling you, I've been through this process. Like, when I tell you I fight tooth and nail, not necessarily it's not necessarily for me to like become this star or something like that it's more so the passion to be able for people to hear lyrically what i have to say Mm -hmm. it's kind of like i've been holding all this stuff in for 20 years right Right. like imagine not being able to use it like you want to and then all of a sudden you just explode with like i have so much to say so much to write and you know and i I feel like with that i feel like i want to get it out that's why i i push so hard and i'm I'm so passionate, I feel like, because I just feel like I have so much more to say, so much more music to write, so many more musicians I love to work with, and so on and so on, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, being uh, an athlete, at least a collegiate uh, athlete, y- you probably mm-hmm. have an innate discipline um, that is pretty much required in any kind of sport, wouldn't you agree?
3: Oh, I definitely believe that, for sure. And yeah. you
0: probably transpose that into your musical career, uh, and just that's how you know life, right?
3: Yeah, you know, yeah. Absolutely. It was such a huge part of my life, you know, um such a huge discipline in my life that I can't help but that marries probably into my music or live shows or the energy of the shows and stuff.
0: So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely. can I, I can feel it in, in your music and have seen it in uh, in some of the YouTube videos that I've uh, seen mm. in your performance. So it's there. Uh, and, and I think that w- will serve you really well because, you know, with sports, you, you learn, you know, the difference between success and failure and, and how to take building blocks and build them on top of each other to, you know, get to the next level and the next level, knowing that, you know, you're going to have roadblocks and you just need to, you know, figure out a way around them and things like that so you may be better suited for a career in music because of having that early discipline uh, i would think but i gotta say so your first karaoke you <laughs> threw down with a whitney houston song <laughs> i did was the audience like oh shit this girl can sing yeah
3: i i wouldn't turn, look, and sing in front of people. I couldn't do that for a long time. Yeah,
0: yeah. the and performance I was side myself.
3: of things. Yeah, but the yeah, the, the natural but, voice was there. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I was,
0: yeah. The, and what Whitney song was it? I Will Always Love You, of course, that <laughs> okay, one. So no,
3: Dolly Parton, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. classic, yeah. you know, Whitney yeah. song, like oh, ballad. I'm a ballad person. I love ballads.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got a lot of those. So, so by 2006, <laughs> you conquered Portland. You have a record deal uh, and you release your first album, Embrace Me. Um, mm-hmm. What did you take away from your first studio experience? Because remember, as we've established now, you don't have this innate understanding of music from a child going through the various processes that most singers do before they get that mm-hmm. uh, that time. You've now only had, what, maybe a year or two uh, before you end up uh, in, uh, in the studio with a record deal?
3: Prior to that, I honestly had like maybe three or four years honing myself to be confident as a writer and just to trust it, um, starting with a hip-hop band and then morphing into all these other bands. Like, the beautiful thing about Portland, Portland really embraced me, meaning, like, they knew. I did not know what I was doing, but I had super amazing mentors like Linda Hornbuckle, Paul DeLay. Uh-huh. Um, like, all these amazing people were behind me, and I was watching and I was learning from them. So I kind of was taking those experiences, and I was finally able in 2006. It was like, okay, you know what? Let me record a record. I think it's time. I think I can do it. And I think for me right now, I think it's one of my best projects because I came at it in a place that I wasn't jaded, meaning I just went into it with stuff. I was pure, right? So I let everything out on the table, and I feel like... Now, as a writer, singer, songwriter, and all these things, I'm like, okay, now I'm thinking about all of these elements, like bass guitar, which is great, but sometimes, you know, I just was free, you know, and in 2006, I realized listening to that record now, like, oh my God, it really said from your heart, like, not that I don't, but I just did, you know?
0: Um, you, you, you didn't so you was, didn't know any better as you, as you said you weren't cynical you weren't you know you didn't have years of struggle uh, being in little studios and, and that this was all pure and innocent and first time right
3: no I've had some struggles I had some studio work that i again like singing stuff and singing hooks for people and stuff like that but when it came to my own project yeah no i had I had no experience mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. but I also but I knew the process. Like Mm -hmm. I just went with my gut and I feel like that was the best time for me. I learned a lot, you know, about jumping out there as an independent artist and just jumping because you're so eager to do something and put a record out and not know anything about the business. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that was tough, really tough for me. But I think that those lessons, clearly I had to learn that. Yeah, it, it taught me a lot about myself as the years went on. It, it really did. But I oh. love that record.
0: Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. So so you now have an album out uh, on the streets, and, and you're playing live. And then you make a YouTube video of the the Rolling Stones song, Gimme Shelter, that has the famous Mary Clayton uh, wail of rape and murder. Um, so yeah. why that song? I,
3: you know, I was drawn to that song immensely. Um, and, and you know, because it's a Rolling Stones tune, and I, I really liked the lyrical content. Like, back then, I was really socially um, conscious and aware of what was going on. And when I heard Mary Clayton sing that part, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow. my God. Yeah. Like, it just pierced me to my core. And I wanted to do it. Like, I wanted to sing it, and I wanted to know what that felt like, you know? And I tried to do my take on it, what I You did. Felt
0: you did. It's very that's different. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome.
3: I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I wanted to just try it, and I enjoy singing that song. You know, I love the lyrical content in it. I really do, because it's in your face, you know? Sometimes I like songs like that. You know, it's in your face like that, so it's necessary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's making a point uh, that, yeah. uh, that needs to be maybe paid attention to again, even though that song is, uh, geez, almost 50 years old now. Right. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. Crazy. I Did you say that? Yes. Yeah. So I, I believe it's that video that catches the attention of uh, you know a somewhat famous singer songwriter guitarist mm-hmm. dancer actor. Oh hell, is there anything that he doesn't do that's great? And of course, I'm talking about Prince. So mm-hmm. how does one get the Willy Wonka ticket uh, from the purple one?
3: Ah. Uh- I was working with a friend of mine. Actually, there was a background singer um, named Marva Marva King. Um, I believe I saw her when I was in Dallas one time doing a show. And then I saw this woman, but she just stood out. God, her voice is incredible, but just her whole vibe, her whole style just blew me away. But not knowing that she was the background singer for Prince or part of New Power Generation. Uh-huh. So I think maybe a month later, I get a call from a guy that says, um, Marvin said that Prince was the a friend of the background singer and you should, I think you should send your video. I was thinking like, what? <laughs> you guys are- Yeah, video, yeah. Like, what?
0: <laughs> I'm yeah, with and, you. Prince, yeah, I'm,
3: right? And, I'm the <laughs> wrong person to be asking that because I would never get that gig, but I really appreciate you trying to like uh-huh. tell me I would, <laughs> I should send the video. And then, um, unbeknownst to me, they sent it anyway. Oh, like really? they didn't tell me. Oh, really? And yeah. Okay. Yeah, they sent it anyway, and they're probably like, "Hey, we're just crazy. Just send the video." Yeah. <laughs> She'll thank yeah. <face> us later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, um, three months later, uh, I get a call. I was in Arizona getting my hair done my I had hair, long <laughs> hair, and then. Sitting in the chair, and then I get this call from Prince's assistant saying, Hello, Liz. We got your video, and Prince would like to talk to you from an unknown number. So, can we call you back? What? Like, that was just. Yeah, it was,
0: it's, so are these my friends playing a joke on me?
3: It was, yeah, it was. It yeah. felt very random and just like, What? Like, this is not happening. And seriously, he called, and it changed my.
5: Whole
3: life, like I bet, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just like even now, like lost for words because I was so shocked and so stunned.
0: Like, okay, oh, I'm anybody sure I'll be, would be. I'll be
3: available to come to Paisley Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes,
0: yeah, um, no problem. Right, right. Okay, so you're summoned to Paisley Park. Um <laughs> What was your your first meeting all about?
3: Um When I walked in the door, he greeted me at the door. Like, um, he was just really sweet. I mean, and like, have you eaten yet? I was like, no, but I don't want to eat, I don't want to touch anything. I don't <laughs>
5: break. Just,
0: I do not want know to break I the mean? spell, like, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, I don't want to touch nothing, it's
3: all good. Like, where do I need to go? Whatever to you need mercenary. me to do,
0: I will do, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah,
3: and honestly, typically, I mean. Meaning, but we uh, the first meeting was us just sitting down, eating, and talking to each other, really. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I loved him for that because it wasn't automatically about walk in, let's audition.
0: No, right? it, it, was, it was. Let me get to know me. you. uh you know, yes. what, what are you all about, uh, sort of thing? Yes. Oh, yes, nice. very much. Yeah, very human. And um, yeah. Very which, very which is difficult for a lot of people to think of when you think of prince you you don't think of him as just being a regular human you know it's just it's just not in the persona that you first recognize but i've heard over and over and have read many stories that that's basically a common uh story when people meet prince is that he's very chill very mellow and he's interested in you yes
3: and doesn't have to be i mean his light we clearly know his light is huge, mega, a force, right? Mm. But then he never made anyone feel less than, like, you know what I mean? Like, because he was really generous with his light, you know, yeah. and never had to be. Yeah. And I, he's taught me so much. I appreciate. I love him. I love him down. I love him so much for. Just his love in general, just mm. the person, just him being the person that he was. He knew I didn't have any experience. He knew, he knew that. And he, oh, you I'm, know. Sure. Yeah.
0: I, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, I'm sure he had a, had a full dossier on you <laughs> before oh, you ever yeah. got
3: there. <laughs> yeah, to, to a certain extent, like he knew I could sing, but at the same time, it's like, for instance, I was at a rehe- my first rehearsal, I was in L.A. and uh, I was singing with Shelby and Marla and. It was cool. I was holding my background parts down, you know. I was singing pretty and timid, so he kind of looked at me and probably looked at Marva, but I know he said, you know, I can find somebody else to replace you. Like, I can get somebody else in here if you don't sing out. Like, stop being timid, right? So Marva hit me like, girl, this is not the time. (laughs) You better sing. Please live. And then I, I can't remember what and Family Stone song we were doing, but man, I belted it out so loud because he walked away after he told me that. And then I belted it out and then he stopped, turned around and he smiled and he was like, okay, there she is. Oh, awesome. Like,
0: awesome Yeah, awesome story. Yeah,
3: yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate him for pushing us off. Uh-huh. He always did, he found a way, He found mm-hmm. a way,
0: mm-hmm. uh, though he pushed you, it seems that he praised uh, just as quickly.
3: yeah, I'm telling you, like I felt like I was at Paley Park University, like, I was trying <laughs> to <right>. concentrate, <laughs> concentrate during our shows, um, but you, sometimes you can't help to get stuck in what you're witnessing, you know it is a phenomenon. Like it is, it's just truly mind blowing. Like I had to concentrate. Like okay, look, you got to step here, you got to step there, sing this note. You can't just stand here like a fan and watch this man play. And no, sing. You
0: have to keep, it's it's you like an move it's move. like an NFL football team. Uh, everybody has oh. a job to do, and you better yeah. damn well do your job, otherwise yes. the team's not going to win. <laughs>
5: True. Just yes. to keep the Truth sports
0: or, metaphors yeah. going with you. Uh yeah, you know, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yes. I, uh, maybe I yeah. should use basketball because I know, you know, Prince being a big basketball fan, uh and yeah. all, but uh yeah, and, and just so you know, I mean I know you and I and everybody, I hate to even be talking about uh, you know, Prince in the past tense. It's just I just don't see that. Uh you know, the world is smaller without him. Uh and I'm sure you agree. With yes that. indeed. Yes yeah. indeed. Yeah. Yep, yep. So then you are on tour with the new Power Generation. uh, Yeah. And uh, I think you were a part of that band until uh, he replaced the MPG with uh, Third Eye Girl, right? Yes, yes. How long was that? How many years was that?
3: I started in 2010. Uh So I think, um, yeah, 2009, 2010. And I think until... 2013, I think, so 2014.
0: 15,
3: yeah, 2014, 2015.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there must have been just a load of great times uh, out on the road. Whenever.
3: Oh, absolutely. I am so grateful that, I'm, that I was able to like, travel the world and play all these shows and see the love of everyone just to experience it all. You know, yeah. I, again, I soaked up so much. It's fantastic. Just every show is different. Nothing was the same. Um the after shows were fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. This is a it, guy
0: who was known to, like, he would play and play. All he wanted to do was just play uh, all the time. Yeah. Uh, he'd do yeah. a show. And then, you know, two hours later, he'd be in some club doing a gig as well. Uh, yep. it's, it's crazy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it must've just been fantastic. And, uh, like I said, probably the, you know, the most professional show out on the road, uh, whenever he would go, uh, out there without question. Yeah. 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 Just, uh, absolutely amazing. So you then after, uh, the MPG, I think that's when you begin to work on your second solo album, right?
3: Yeah. Yep right after that
0: so talk talk to us about that because during that time I, you credit prince with helping you define your persona and hone your music is that correct
3: yeah i uh, came to him and i said look i want to do a record i'm going to do my another record and i said i just want your opinion and tell me what you think i want to run a couple songs by you to see what you think right so at first you know he's like okay let me see what you got <laughs> 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 okay so I was like, okay, I have this one song I have a couple songs, but this one It's called Why Do You Lie You know, he's like, let me see the lyrics first I was like, alright, cool, so he saw the lyrics And he was like, okay You know, it wasn't it wasn't anything that it was right away Right? And I was like, okay, I need to do this on my own First, like, let me put the first song out Let me just show him, like, my skill Right, <laughs> I right, got right Without so I him, without you. him Right, right, right And so, um I did Why Do You Lie, and I think when he heard it, I remember he called me instantly, and he said,
0: okay. That's pretty good.
3: Yeah. And he was like, <laughs> what else you got? And then after that, um, I started to show him more songs, and we started talking about concepts and what I thought I wanted my album to be. Like, I was really inspired by it. Like, I'm a huge Cleopatra Jones fan, mm. um, and I love all those old movies. Yeah and isaac hayes and i i felt like i wanted it to mimic a a movie like if i was playing cleopatra jones like this is what i want my soundtrack to sound like Uh Uh so i made the album in that concept and then he was like all right go with it you know where, where do you want to do it do you want to record at paisley or do you want to record in portland and i said uh, can I record it in Portland? <laughs> <laughs> and most people are probably like, Well, you are crazy. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I think he understood because I felt like, that was you know, home. my, my that was, home. Yeah, yeah. The
0: comfortability of the streets, uh, you know, in between the sessions, uh, would put your head in the right place.
3: Absolutely. And he was like, all right, you know, just, send me some stuff or send me when you're half finished or send me when you're finished or, I, or basically he was like, okay, when you're, cause I sent him a couple of things. And then he had a couple of songs for me. He wrote your show on the album, which is definitely reminds me of like Clea Poucher Jones movie, mm-hmm. which is oh, it was amazing. And then the title song, the unexpected, which is the title of the album. Yes. I remember he said, well, do you have a name for your album yet? And I said, yes, it's called The Unexpected. <laughs> he was like, oh, I like that. And he's like, do you have anything for it yet? Like a song? I got you. Like, just give me, give me a day. Literally, he came I, back like the next day. With a song? With a song. Uh-huh. Called me up on the phone, didn't say much to me, and put the phone to the speakers. I was like, what is this? Like, oh, my God. Like, I was blown away. Um, I was speechless. He was I remember him kinda of like laughing in the back and then he was like, Josh, we'll send you a copy and then when I got the copy and listen to it, Third Eye Girl's version is called Wow, right? Mm-hmm. So I said, and you know I can't redo this? <laughs> like, this is fantastic. I'm not touching this. Like, man, you are so wrong to <laughs> me this. I can't play it like that. And he goes, You know what? You're right. <laughs> And I said, um, well, I'll tell you what, I said, let me do my version.
0: Just, yeah, let let me. It's kind of like what was, you did with Gimme Shelter."
3: Yeah, kind of like that. And I did it, and he was like, so my version, their version is called Wow on Third Eye Bill's album, and mine is Unexpected. So, yeah, and he loved it. And I'm so happy because we performed it maybe five or six times before on the road. That was, like, so killing.
0: Oh, you you performed it together, uh, Alan Grove.
3: Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. Third Eye Girl, yeah. It was so fantastic. But yeah, he allowed me to do my record and to produce that record with my band. And, you know, I just let him listen to stuff. And I'm happy he trusted my ear, but he also gave input when it was necessary. But I think he also wanted to allow me to just, your sound and your sound. Yeah, you have to
0: find you. You know, you, you know he can't direct that. Uh, that's not going to yeah. make an artist. That just makes right. a, a copycat. Uh, and no one yeah. needs that. So uh, that's very, very cool. Very cool. So yeah, why the, why the title The Unexpected?
3: Um, because there's a little bit of rock and roll. There's a lot of there's R and B. There's mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't want people to feel like they can expect like another Embrace Me record because that wasn't the case. Like mm-hmm. Embrace Me sounds totally different than Unexpected. Right, it's like night and day. Mm-hmm. And so I called it that because I don't want people to try to put me in a box and what my sound is supposed to be like um because people do know me in the R&B world as an R&B singer um but I do do a little bit of rock and roll like um with yes, one you of the do. tracks my But yes, you do. uh, (laughs) Brian Waters wrote "Blackbird," you know, totally rock and roll. "Why Do You Lie?" Same thing. But then you turn around in the middle, you got another song, Friends wrote called "Your Show," is this beautiful R&B opus, sexy. Like it's. I just wanted people to listen to it. It's a body of work, and I am proud of it. So it's
0: musically all things. Live Warfield, absolutely right, right, right. So now you're out touring the album, and you get a chance to open for Heart at the the Hollywood Bowl. Now, this is going to go into a a deeper story here, but were you fans of the uh, Seattle Sisters uh, beforehand? Of course. (laughs) Of course. So I'm not
3: trying to date myself in that way. I mean, I don't care, but... My songs, like, I love ballads. Like, for me, what I do know of them and what I've heard of the songs for them were, like, um, what about us? What yeah, about Warren songs, these things. Yeah, But like, mm-hmm. those ballads and stuff, I already knew from them. Mm-hmm. So I was already a fan back then when I was younger. And then when I got introduced to them and I started to know Nancy a little bit more, I started to dig deeper into their catalog. I was, like, good God. Like, ooh, just... When Nancy would play me some of the live stuff that they did back in the day, I can't remember uh-huh. um, which show they were at, but I was just uh, blown away. So yeah, so it was- and
0: as a powerhouse vocal, uh, there's no oh, two ways man. about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then you and Nancy like become best friends, uh, and that leads to a combined band called Roadcase Royale, right?
3: Yes, yeah, Roadcase Royale. Yes. It was so crazy. I remember at that heart show and I had the lovely chance to open up for them. I was like, I gotta meet one of them. I have to. Yeah. So Nancy was just hanging back and then I was like, you know, I have this song which I'll later talk about mantra, of course. I said, well, I have this song. I'm writing I just want you, you know, just please, could you tell me what you think? And, like, um, she was like, oh, my God, absolutely. But first, let's just not say we're going to talk. Like, let's meet up sometime and have, like, lunch. Like, you know. And she's like, really, let's just not say we're going to not do that. We're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And I actually kept up with her. And then when I was in L.A., I was like, hey, Nancy, <laughs> do you still want to do lunch? And we did lunch. And I'm telling you, it was like, we just hit it off. And right. she was like, Paul, oh, man, do you want to, like, start a band? I was like, really?
0: <laughs> <laughs> with Nancy oh, Wilson, no. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> exactly. how can life get much better? Right, right. Yeah, first right. Prince, now Nancy Wilson. Wow, you you have oh, uh, some some big time mentors and uh, proponents out there.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm really just super super grateful. Like both Ryan and I are. Ryan Waters, my brother, he's out playing with them now on
0: tour. Oh, with the new reformed heart, they've kind of buried the hatchet again and uh, are back on the road, right? Yep. 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 Yeah. So so, now, did they see you on Jimmy Kimmel first, or did that come later? They saw me on Jimmy Fallon first. Oh, Jimmy Fallon. Um, Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. It was Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon with "Why Do I Lie"? Why do you lie? Yes. Yep. mm
3: -hmm. With all the horn Um, players. Yes. mm -hmm,
5: Yeah. A
0: fantastic performance, Uh, Diggers. uh, If you want to know the first thing about Liv, go watch that video. Uh, just just oh. to why <laughs> do you lie uh, with Jimmy Fallon and uh, you'll see why we're talking to live today. So uh, so they saw that first, right? And that's kinda of, yeah. is that kinda of what got you the Hollywood Bowl gig?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean I, I think as I was told, they said they saw it and I think they were looking for an opener at the time.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: And then um and that's how I got, yeah, the Hollywood Bowl gig and so I had a chance to open up for them and it's fantastic.
0: So yeah. Mm -hmm. So is Roadcase Royale still a thing Or was it just like a a one and done uh, Or you guys might come back to it
3: I don't think it's a one and done Thing, I think we might come back to it I think it's just scheduling I do think at this point There's a lot of us schedule a lot of different things In the band, like Dan and Ben And Chris, Mm -hmm. and Ryan too I think, and clearly Nancy The boss, I think it's just timing You know, I really do It'd be cool to do another one, but I'm sure it'll come back
0: around at some point. Oh, we'll keep an ear out for that. So. All right. So after The Unexpected uh, was out and uh, you were out touring it, you and Prince yep. were talking about the next album. So I got to ask, where were you on April 21st, 2016, when the terrible news was released that uh, mm. Prince had suddenly passed home. away? I was at home. And did somebody just give you a call or did you see it on um, the news? or? Yeah, we can't talk about that one. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. It's a little too tough. I get it. I get it. I get it. So it must have taken you a long spell to kind of regroup and figure your musical path going forward, right? Yeah,
3: it was tough. It took me a minute to get out of it, to get out of the funk of it all. Yeah. I was already kind of having a tough time already, and this is before all of that, Mm -hmm. but I knew that when I was working on this project and writing new music, I was like, at least I was writing, I was staying creative. For me, as long as I'm staying creative, and I think when all of that happened, it's just kind of like, we're
0: one one more thing that you just didn't need in your life at that time.
3: Absolutely. It broke me. But I know one thing is that I needed to always stay busy. I needed to stay creative. I just needed to keep writing. I just needed to keep keep going, whatever it was. Finish writing that song that, you know, I was working on. Um, I finally did at the Iridium, which is now Mantra, which people hear now and yeah. that I just now put out. That was such a work in progress. And that song took four years seriously, four years to finish, and i waited patiently on it because when I knew it was right, it was going to be right. Mm-hmm. And um, I knew Prince heard it the first time because I played it at the Iridium in its like infant stage. Like, okay, guys, let's try it. Let's try <laughs> it tonight.
0: <laughs> right, right. And
3: then um, somebody took a video of it, and I think he tweeted something like, oh, my God, kind of, like, this is basically, like, this is it. Like, and that felt really good because really that was, probably the last time I really had any just conversation about music the musicality of things with him you know and mm. I, it felt good but for that song Mantra it was something that I felt like I needed to finish above all things like I've been writing music and I've been doing a lot right now but I felt like I needed to finish that song as a foundation for me um, because then I'm like okay I, I'm good I can move forward because it's, it's a heavy song but it's beautiful to me it's like this beautiful rock opus but has these elements of like soul and it's got peaks and valleys and ups and downs and just like the struggle of everything that I've been going through. But at the same time, it's really beautiful.
0: Yeah. It's Um, like a a little four minute symphony.
3: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It took you four years to hone and work on that song and complete it.
3: huh? Yeah, it did. It really did. Like I, um, I, I had to get the right elements. Like Ryan Waters again, killer wrote just Ryan is a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, wrote a lot of the, the guitar and bass, and there's Marlon Patty, and then there's Robbie. I went to Atlanta to actually record the the core of it, just bass drums, guitar. And even that, it sounds fantastic without all these 45 piece strings.
0: Yeah. Oh, um, oh, oh, oh it's a 45 piece uh, orchestra, strings orchestra, huh?
3: Yes. And and that took a minute, too, And I said, well, the song sounds amazing, but I feel like something was missing. Mm-hmm. And I, it was like two years later, uh, I did a benefit um, for the Children's Hospital in Seattle. And um, conductor, Mateo Messina, was like, is there any song that you would like to do? Or do like, you know, something original? And I was like, yes, do. <laughs> and then um, I gave him a couple songs, and he said he was really drawn towards mantra. And then when I heard it, what he came up with, I was in tears. Like I just was like, oh my god, you spoke to every sentiment, you spoke to everything, and so Matteo Messina was just really kind enough to write it, and I was able to keep it and use it for the song. And again, it worked out beautifully. Like I could have been in a rush for the song and just put it out fast because it was great then, but I feel like now. I've never
5: felt so. So um, your in,
0: your intuition was telling you, no, this it's not quite baked. There's something, and and you waited until it was complete, and, and you just knew it in your heart when it was done. Yeah, yeah, I did. I absolutely did. Yeah. yeah, it's a big song, and you know what? It made me think that you know you you should get to sing the next James Bond theme.
3: Oh my gosh! Oh. That's so cool. I would love to do that. I've been trying to push that song to go
0: into James Bond. <laughs> that's what it is. That's what it reminded me. When I first heard it, I was like, wow, oh, it sounds like a song that should be the opening of a James Bond movie. Uh oh, that would be cool. great. You know, it may be lyrically not quite, but depending on right, the movie right. and everything. But the, the whole big feel of it had that uh big goldfinger uh sound to it or something.
3: Oh
5: that's cool. Oh,
0: that's oh okay. I'm on to something here. All right. Well yeah. maybe somebody's <laughs> listening and they'll give you a call. Maybe, maybe the Broccoli yeah. the Broccoli family <laughs> uh yeah. with the new James Bond movie should give you a ring, huh? Please. Please,
3: I am available.
0: I am available. You will, you me. will make the time available. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that. Would yeah, be, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, you you've got another single that's uh, coming up, uh, and it's very different, uh, called "Look at Me," uh, which I got to yes. hear a preview of, and it, and I believe that drops on October twenty second. So, uh, yeah. tell us about that song. So this song, I
3: really just wanted to have fun with something. I didn't want to just always be so serious. And I think I, it can play to everybody's feelings, everybody's posting, everybody's on Instagram, everybody's socialed out, and it's kind of just having fun with, like, you know, look at me do this, and it's not even so much as that. It's all, it's the good thing, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted for people to just be able to have fun with it and not think about it and just have a little bit, it kind of reminds me of, like, if Tina... China would just took something and just, I don't know, wild out on it. And I also did this with the producers, uh, June Moon, who I'm doing a record with for next year. The album comes out next year. So no, I, I kind was kind ask
0: like, about that, so the album comes out next year.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is, the, the album doesn't sound anything like this, but I believe this was like our meeting point of like, man, let's do something, but I want to do something really fun. I, I want to do something that just, you know, people could dance to and just have a good time
0: with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you you accomplished that with that song. Oh, good. <laughs> so that does come out on October 22nd. Yes, October mm-hmm. 22nd. Yeah. Is there a date for the uh, the new album? Is there a name for the new album?
3: Um, we June Moon hasn't finished the date. I think it's going to be in between like April or May for the June Moon album, and then my live album will be coming out around March. So it's kind of like double situation like i'm i'm recording live at the apollo theater my live album there oh when is that that will be in march
0: in march of 2020 so when are you recording it march 2020 live. Oh, march march 2020 is when when you're going to record at the apollo yes. album. oh that's yes hollow yes. ground
3: yes i know well, I, I, are
0: you, you going to be able to keep the butterflies all down no uh, oh, have you God. have you played the apollo before
3: I have, I oh, have. Oh, okay, and I okay, love, okay, okay. Absolutely love that place. I really, really, really love it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm glad that they're giving me the opportunity to do that. I've always wanted to do that. So, yeah, it's crazy. I'm just excited about that and the June Moon Project. It, well, it's a two different worlds, but it's going to be really, really cool. I think people are really going to like it. It's definitely shown growth on my end. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, I see big things in 2020 for you, so... Oh, good thank you <laughs> let, me, let me let me ask just because you, you you now have like 15 years experience in the music business and you and you've kind of got an unusual story because as we've established you know you didn't grow up preparing for this this just kind of happened uh, you know when you are in college and you go to a karaoke bar and one thing leads to another after that but what is different is that y- you started out in Portland I asked because you're actually you started your career at perhaps the nadir in the recording industry and now there appears to be a bit of a comeback are, you know are you seeing that what what was your experience you know starting in i think 2003 2004 and that you know that's pretty much the beginning of the decimation of the the recording industry Uh, And now things seem to be coming back a little bit. Are are you seeing that as well?
3: Um, You're saying to me, what's coming back in 2003? Like you're saying the recording industry
0: is Yeah, the recording industry, you know, fell on hard times. Uh, Sure, yeah. It it, it was the canary in the coal mine of disruption. Uh, You know, obviously, the price of music dropped to pretty much zero. Uh, You know, there's still issues uh, with, uh, you know, recordings being now more the PR side and the tour being more the, the money side, uh, which is a complete right. flip to prior right. to that. Um, right. you know, and so now with 15 years experience, and especially starting mm. from when it was probably the toughest time uh, to, to make it in the music business to now, uh, you know, have you noticed a difference? I'm asking from a historical standpoint and uh, a personal one because you were there.
3: Without question, it's changed. It's gone a total flip. I feel like now we're at a place to the, um, how should I say, the hustle is different. So so uh-huh. me going out, putting up flyers on telephone poles and stuff that I would do for my own shows, right. the hustle is now turned into posting on Instagram. Social media. That's like right. equivalent, yeah. right? That's the uh-huh. equivalency now. Um, doing the shows, trying to pack these venues out. You know what I mean? is really, really hard because you have Live Nation and all these other places that have bought up all these venues and they've already secured spots for artists that are bigger names, right? So in that way, it is difficult, but the beauty of it is that there's a lot of space for all these independent artists. There's no reason, and I have to tell myself this too, is there's no reason that you can't make a space or make a way for yourself at this point
0: as long as you have the discipline to go out there and work
3: it, that's the key that's it right there as long as you have the discipline you can make it what you want you really can and i believe that i've seen really close friends of mine they were just consistent about you know posting and that works for them sometimes that probably doesn't work for me i'm not i'm terrible at social media and you know, you go to these record labels and they're like, OK, they could care less about the music. The only thing they care about. OK, so what are your social media numbers?
0: Right. right? Yeah. That has nothing to do with the music. What are you talking about? Right. Is it? Wait a minute. Isn't that your job uh, to, uh, to handle all of that while I focus on the music? Uh, one would think.
3: Exactly. And I feel like gone are those times are the um, A&Rs or yeah. the artist development. Mm-hmm. Like artist development is now you. You do whatever you want in this time. So I think it's just a matter of being clever and finding yourself, but also staying as authentic as hell as you can be, because you can easily fall into the trap of trying to be like somebody else or trying to do it their way, Uh whereas you have to be confident and know that what you have is good, you're all right, you know, be innovative, set your own stage, like, really, really take the time to, like, hone your craft and believe in that, you know, and, and not try to follow what everybody else is doing because, hell, it's hard. I mean, but the streaming has made it easier. There's a lot of distribution companies. There's a lot of licensing companies, so that makes it a little easier, I think. I don't think everybody's running to go to a major label anymore like they used to.
5: Yeah.
3: But, yeah, so times have totally changed. I guess you just have to find what what really works for you, you mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of options out there there aren't.
0: Well, you definitely are one of a kind, very authentic. Uh, it comes through in everything you do. Uh, and like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, Liv Warfield in 2020, maybe even a James Bond theme. Um, maybe. So just, just to throw that out <laughs> one more time for you here. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, we here at Deeper Digs of Rock, we, we can't wait to see what you have in store for all of us here at Liv Warfield. Oh, bless thanks so much for spending time with us here. Thank you so much. Oh, it's awesome.
3: I really appreciate you having me. I had a blast.
0: Thank you.
5: Hello How are you? Looking
3: so
2: Thank you so much, Liv Warfield. What an interesting woman. What an amazing voice. Go out and grab the newest singles, Mantra, uh, out now. And Look At Me set to drop on October 22nd. Expect the full album in 2020. So, at the top, I told y'all to go catch live on some of those old cultural signifier shows back in the day. I'm talking Letterman, Arsenio, Kimmel, Fallon, etc. And back in the day, I'm saying only a few years ago. Look... I didn't know who Liv Warfield was until I was asked to do this interview. So I did what I just told you guys to do. I went down the rabbit hole and came away wondering why is this lady not already a big giant star. It's obvious in those performances. Plus, she's doing something, well, who am I to do better than Prince? He coined it, she's doing something unexpected. Yeah, she's a a bit of Etta James, her personal hero, and other big powerful women of rock and soul's past who literally blew your hair back when they belted out the tunes. This woman says star all over her, and I know that if she did live in a previous era, there is no doubt she'd be the talk of the town. There is a reason she was on all those shows a few years ago, and those shows used to be a way to be introduced to someone of her talent. It's like, you know, the comic who was called over to Carson's couch. You knew you made it at that point. I guess... It's not like that anymore, and and I don't mean to lament a, a bygone era, but I wonder how we are going to elevate those who really deserve it musically. Maybe these new recordings uh, will create a breakthrough for Maybe uh, what she needs is what worked so well for Mr. Brown back in 1961, a Live at the Apollo album. Maybe in 2020, she will get the recognition I think she deserves. And I'll be set straight that this massive talent uh, will win out in the end. Um, I hope so for Liv. And I hope so for those like her that were given this special gift. Just wondering is all. Okay, that's it for this week's episode. Next up, we have personal friend and a part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, Ty Listen of the podcast, the band, A History. It's uh, the first of me introducing uh, to you diggers some of our newer shows. Eh, You know, it's the neighborly thing to do. Ty is a filmmaker first and podcaster second, but he has poured his heart and soul into making this limited series about the godfathers of Americana. It's a fun and informative show, uh, not too dissimilar uh, to our Rock and Roll Archaeology podcast. So come on back for that one. Until then, like always, keep up the rocking
5: Could it be with the eyes I see of the rice I'm gonna pay to move on While the river's deep I'll swim to shore why I stand alone at peace When dreams are half
1: Deeper Digs in Rocks, produced and hosted by Kristen Swain. All sound design and incidental music by Busy Signal Studios. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks find us on facebook at the rnrap we are on instagram at rnr archaeology tweet us at rnr archaeology
4: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football